Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your afternoon again today. Joined in studio, as always, producer extraordinaire, Christopher Rudy. Hey there. We've made it through uh, a whole day. Voice talent, produced, <laughs> music composer. Who do, we have, who do we have in the she's studio well known. I've got some. I've got some. Enough about me, C.W. I've got some, uh, <laughs> some folks that you're going to want to know about Uh Today is our ongoing series with the Medical Association of Georgia, and so I was lucky enough to be able to sit down in the studio today with several of the experts, and including uh, their president-elect, Dr. John Harvey. Thank you, C. Dave. Yeah, we appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, and I'm going to come back to you. You've got some creds to, to talk he about. He has a, speci- a special intro. Where's your special intro? We're, we're going to get back to okay, that. I've okay. also got. Did I ruin the surprise? You blew it. <laughs> Susan Moore is the Director of Health Policy and Third-Party Payer Advocacy. Been there since 2013, so thanks for taking some time. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> and we've also got Paul Hildreth. He's uh, the Emergency Management Coordinator and Grant Coordinator for REMS for Fulton County School District. So thanks for taking some time to join us and talk about uh, the, the Medical Reserve Corps as we're going to get into here in a minute. Thank you, CW. Glad to be here. So Dr. Harvey, from what I understand, as we sat around uh, pre-show, kind of doing our prep a little bit, from what I understand, you have a little bit of background in the radio gig. Oh, yeah, it goes back a ways. I used to do a little talk radio early on in Atlanta, and then uh, working with Rotary, we developed a DJ program for the international students, and I was Dr. J of the Magical Medical Musical <laughs> Show. <laughs> We're just going to have to make you a regular on the on the program I'm here. You can join you. us Look on our, our monthly show. That's dangerous to put a mic in front of <laughs> Now, to go into a little bit about what, what kind of makes you a clear uh, person to be talking about what we're talking about, you're a chief of surgery at Gwinnett Medical Center uh, up on the north e- northeast side of Atlanta. And uh, from what I understand, you're actually a colonel and command surgeon in the Georgia State Defense Force. That's correct. And you've actually had some missions that uh, involved you with a, a few natural disasters that uh, folks are probably familiar with, uh, the Katrina and Rita hurricanes, the Haiti hurricane, uh, Haiti earthquake, uh, doing airlifts out of that. You, you were actually part of the, the event that happened in the, uh, during the Olympics with the bombing down in the Centennial Park. So you've been able to, I guess if, if you want to call it, be lucky enough to be somebody that's kind of dealing with those emergencies, gaining experience that uh, sounds like we're beginning to leverage here now to the benefit of our of our folks in the state. Yeah, kind of consistently been in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> so we uh, we did work with the evacuation of the, the uh, people that were displaced from New Orleans and uh, from Texas during the Katrina and Rita hurricanes where they were airlifted into Atlanta. And we helped to manage the uh, the entire flight line. That was the state defense force function with that in conjunction with the NDMS that helped with the initial medical assessment once they got in, inside the 
the hangars and then the translocation to where those people were taken to either hospitals or shelters here in Atlanta. So not all of the folks that you were dealing with were injured. Many of them were, based on what you're saying, but many of them were just displaced folks that whose homes were destroyed. Many were displaced and, and taken on a plane, and they didn't even know where they were headed. Uh, some were the evacuees from nursing homes that came on a medical flight. So we had a, a wide variety of patients and victims that were involved in that disaster. I can only imagine what that situation is like. And, and you know, it's funny, as we talk about this, it's kind of reminded me that I have been intending to go do this for our own family, and we have not done this yet. I've been hearing the public service announcements that talk about get a plan. Um, and, and this is kind of reinforcing for me. Uh, that we as a family need to do that because some of our pre-show discussion kind of brought it back to mind that, that there are details that you just kind of take for granted. You don't really think about it now in the moment when things are uh, happening and it's too late at that point to, to, to know, uh, you know, particularly in natural disasters like that where communications are, are spotty at best if they're even available. Um, so... I mean, what was that process like as you were dealing with this mass of people that you're going to have to relocate out of this zone? I'm sure you're dealing with families, don't know where they're going, uh, where they, how, how often did you have families that were like, oh my gosh, Billy is missing. Where's, where, where's so-and-so family member that you were potentially separating people from families and trying to identify how, how can we do this better? Well, I think in your comments, it's taught me a number of things over the years that are, that uh, I've carried away. The first, as you said, is is individually you need to be prepared. Um, and that gets down to like with the ice storm of, uh, or the snow we had a few weeks ago. Uh, I look at it differently now. I'm always prepared to ensure that I have the cars fueled, that there's enough canned goods and, and food that's containerized that doesn't require electricity in the case that we would be without the usual services we depend on every day for as much as 72 hours. Mm -hmm. and of course, these people came from New Orleans, and they'd been at without electricity, sometimes the ability to obtain food and clean water for a week or so when they got up here. Mm -hmm. So you become dependent on then the disaster services being able to respond appropriately. And I guess my involvement gave me a new viewpoint as to what we need to do to be prepared both individually as well as professionally right. in our response that we have when we are called on to mount a response to a disaster. And, you know, that'll kind of segue us into what we're talking about today as it relates to the Medical Reserve Corps. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services approved a request from the Medical Association of Georgia to form the nation's first medical society-sponsored statewide volunteer Medical Reserve Corps. So, Put that into layman's terms. What does that mean for our listeners? Because many of them are physicians. Many of them are folks like me just uh, in, the, in the community. So what does that mean? Well, the Medical Reserve Corps go back um, a number of years uh, to where we realized that there needed to be a way to augment the emergency services in many communities. And there was a recommendation that these Medical Reserve Corps be formed and there would be support through the federal government for the recognition of these corps that were put together to assist and trained to assist in disasters. And that's the basis of this Medical Reserve Corps. The most Medical Reserve Corps have been created in local areas to respond to their local uh, emergency 
response, this Medical Reserve Corps that we've put together is somewhat new in concept. It's the first Medical Reserve Corps that's ever been formed under the State Medical Association, our Medical Association of Georgia. And the reason that we formed this Medical Reserve Corps was the realization that we need to have a manpower group that can assist if the local medical reserve course or the local emergency response uh, becomes overwhelmed when there's a need for health care support. And we've seen that two or three times in this state when the uh, hospital was was blown away in the tornado in southwest Georgia, um, when we've had issues like the Katrina Rita evacuation into Atlanta. It took more than our usual number of uh, health care providers that could just be called on to say, hey, can you come help us with this issue? And we felt like that if we put together this group under the State Medical Association, we could provide the baseline training, as we talked about a minute ago, both the individual so that they're prepared individually to respond as well as professionally so that they're prepared to respond in their professional capacity to assist with the disaster in its entirety. Now, Paul, I know as we did the intros, Emergency Management Coordinator and Grant Coordinator for the Fulton County School District, 14 years of experience in emergency response and crisis management certified emergency manager and master certified emergency manager. Talk about that. What exactly does that mean? And then kind of fold that into what we're talking about here. Clearly, you're going to be having some similar plans as it relates to the schools. Exactly. For me, it's really a passion. And that's kind of what we reach out to each, you know, each and every single one of us has a something inside of us that says, I want to do more or I want to give back. We, we serve our communities uh, on a daily basis in our work and our homes and our churches. Um, for me, it was September 11th, and uh, it, you know when that happened in the World Trade Centers, it was really a deep down call to me that I want to do something more. And there were a lot of people that did that, and uh, you know Dr. Harvey and I actually met as a result uh, of, of getting together in the State Defense Force that way. Okay. Uh, so it, it it started there, and then it just becomes a passion. You find that there are others engaged in the community, whether doctors, nurses, medical professionals, uh, you know, even uh, non-medical professionals that really, really are passionate about wanting to do something, in, in this case, for the state of Georgia. And so that's what I've been doing ever since, um, currently working with, uh, with schools and emergency preparedness. It, it really parlays nicely into how do you take an organization and with a goal-minded mission like the Medical Reserve Corps and begin to plan for what you're going to do there to support the state, you know, in, in the health emergencies or public health type emergencies. And talk a, a little bit about the the State Defense Corps. What exactly is that? Who who is that? It's not Army men. Doesn't sound like. Well, you know, or maybe we, there's a little bit of uh, National it's, Guard. It but, is. Uh, it's tied in with the, with the state military. It's okay. uh, it's a, you know originally founded as a state militia sure. uh, many 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 years ago. Uh, the Georgia State Defense Force. Uh, is not all medical. It's a, you know, they do a lot of search and rescue. They uh, do a lot of community events. Um, it's, it's a great organization, been a part of that for many years. Uh, the part most specifically we're tied into was the medical side um, with the command surgeon's office. And more specifically, uh, you know, Dr. Harvey spoke to the missions that we perform with uh, Dobbins and with the earthquake relief from Haiti. And, and again, those are just great ways to, uh, to, to talk about what we were able to do as a coordinated effort. And that's what we really want to do here, because when the tornadoes hit uh, in South Georgia, uh, they did have to put up a, a hospital quickly down there. And it was a, you know, it was a portable type hospital setting. Mm-hmm. 
and then trying to get that staffed, uh, you know, even the part of getting the hospital put together becomes a, you know, a huge priority and a critical mission that we just didn't have staffing for in the state. So it, it really ties nicely into the Medical Association starting this mag and, and, and our goals for what we want to, you know, to do to succeed with this. Mm-hmm. And so f- from the sound of it, the, the, the state defense force is also, is it volunteer as well? It is. It is volunteer. It's the third authorized branch of our state Department of Defense, that being the uh, Air Guard, the Army Guard, and the State Defense Force. The State Defense Force is the volunteer portion, but they still train and and get a background on appropriate response. And I guess Paul and I both saw from that the importance of preparedness training in a formalized fashion that makes you feel comfortable and ready to respond, as opposed to oftentimes doctors are ready to respond, but they've had very little background training that gives them preparedness for what's going to be expected in a disaster and who they're responsible to and how they fit into the whole scheme of response personnel that go. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, obviously, as we were doing the introductions, we talked about the fact that you you all had been a part of the hurricanes that struck uh, New Orleans and, and uh, the Gulf Coast and um, clearly the earthquake in Haiti, for example, and so forth. But as it relates to Georgia, um, obviously, we do have weather events that it would include uh, tornadoes that, that you talked about that had damaged or destroyed a hospital. Uh, then we had our, our snow event, our almost snow event that turned into a major disaster for us from a logistical perspective. But can you talk on some of the things beyond that? What, what are the... What do you see as the types of events? I'm sure some of them are potentially unknown, but type of events that would kind of cause this situation to to kick into place, Susan? Yeah, there there are other um, opportunities here, and that has to do with when you have a more protracted disaster, such as a, a pan flu, where you've got a tremendous need for folks to step in and help hospitals and communities handle a surge. Um, so in addition to what our niche kind of role will be, which is to staff and stand up a, a, a sur- portable surge hospital, um, we would in other kind of situations be able to go in and supplement um, the staffing. And, and that is Everybody talked about their, their their passions here. I got connected with this whole field when I was working on a CDC grant uh, developing crisis standards of care planning for hospitals. And it was it was here in Georgia, and it was it was interesting to me that we included all the sectors, but the physicians. Um, maybe physicians were just harder to to get your arms around and rally. But but as we did have an opportunity to interview some practices, it was. It was not surprising, somewhat disconcerting that that physician practices, you know, do not have their continuity of operations plans. They haven't thought about what what would I do if if we have an event. You know, what am I going to do with my practice? This is this is my my living. So so I'm excited about this because it not only gives us a chance to to um, train our physicians to respond to an event. But it's also a segue into teaching emergency preparedness planning, um, you know, at the at the office level. So, so there are are lots of good things that I think um, will will come of this. Not the least of which, as Dr. Harvey referenced, is 
um, for our physicians to know where they fit in the scheme of a disaster response. You can't have all chiefs. And, <laughs> and so there, there are... There are incident command systems, uh, very known. This is what came out of the, the wildfires in the West in the late 60s and 70s, where they realized that, that you know, you need to have a go-to person, and that needs to be one person. And everybody coming from various agencies need to be able to fit seamlessly into to a response. And, and in evaluating um, responses in the past, one of the barriers to a successful response has been this inability of people to know what their roles are. Um, so, so we see that as yet another benefit to, to our plan here to create this MRC. And we know that this, we know that they want to be there because we get calls. I can't tell you how many people uh, at Dobbins, you know, made calls to Dr. Harvey or myself and said, "How? What can I do? How can I help?" But it's not having that formalized training of how to respond and, and having the credentials already pre-approved. All the boundaries, uh, you know, would limit that. Uh, that's what we want to offer here. We want to offer those volunteers that uh, that direct way to do that. You know, here's here's a way that you can get involved today. And then when it happens or something bad goes wrong, that you really are prepared uh, not only at home with your family, but to be able to respond in that capacity. We're talking with Susan Moore, Paul Hildreth, and Dr. John Harvey about the the Medical Reserve Corps that's uh, kind of taking on a new shape, uh, becoming a little bit more formalized, uh, being guided by the Medical Association of Georgia, actually received uh, a small grant from the federal government to kind of get things in motion as they formalize um, you know, the layout of this and, and uh, get the um, kind of the the org, org chart kind of formalized as to who does what in, in the case of an event. Um, from what I understand, the, the Medical Association of Georgia Medical Reserve Corps is going to be part of doing what we just talked about a moment ago where you mentioned, Susan, the, the training uh, of physicians and other volunteers on how to do it. I, I would assume a lot of people don't realize, well, I just, I, I just thought I'd vol- volunteer and hand out water. Um, there, there's, there's a measure of to be part of this official unit that's going to be helping move things forward in an event there is some measure of training can you talk about that who's doing it what are we trying to learn as we uh, get into it cw i think the first thing that i want to talk about there is the thing that mr hildreth mentioned the authorized response Uh, in a disaster safety and security become paramount for a number of the responding agencies and while most doctors are are well-intentioned and want to go help with the response, they get a little frustrated when they get to the outside perimeter and they're asked for credentials and they say, well, I'm a doctor. And it's, it kind of stops there. They say, okay, well, good. But from the standpoint, and even with Katrina Rita, we found that many people went and said that they would help with the medical response that had no credentials to do so. Now, that's unfortunate, but it does leave a problem with who is authorized to respond. Uh, Mr. Hildreth and I, both in the state defense force, when we respond with them, it's under a direct order in an authorized response with credentials that we can produce when we get to the, to the perimeter of the response. And that's one of the first issues that we have with the medical response is that we need to have a way to get doctors that are duly credentialed recognized because, unfortunately, 
I'm the president-elect of MAG, but I could still go to some hospitals in middle or south Georgia that might not immediately recognize me. <laughs> How's or that possible? Let me, You're kind of a big deal. Or let me do surgery if I told them, well, I don't need to operate on this person. Trust me, I can do surgery. It's that's no problem. Right, and I slept in the Holiday Inn. So. But so, I think that's the first issue that we we have talked about within the medical association. And with the medical association, we also have the capability statewide to recognize the credentials of our members, recognize their standing at the hospitals, and be able to develop an, an authorized list of appropriate response personnel. All of our members that will join the State Defense Force will also register for a federal program called the Volunteer Health Professional Program, and, and in our state that's known as Serve Georgia. and. Uh, so through our State Department of Public Health, they will already be registered for a response so that when they do show up to respond, they can tell them at the gate again in a, a more appropriate manner. Well, I'm here as a part of the, the MRC. You can check my credentials with MAG, and I'll sit over here and wait until you get that squared away. And then they'll be able to respond in a far more effective fashion. I got you. Can, can one of you kind of talk about... When an event occurs, kind of the, the flow of activation of these various levels of service. Obviously, we've got our on-duty first responders and law enforcement, healthcare that are on the job right now. It happens during work hours or whatever it may be, and some people are working, so they're there and they're available. But how does it flow from there? The event overwhelms that. Right. If, if you think of it in the concept of um, all emergencies really start and, you know, they begin in, in a local capacity and they end in a local capacity. So something happens, people dial 911, our local emergency responders arrive. Well, if they get there and it's a little bigger than they can handle, then they reach out to the next, you know, up, up the chain of the agencies to, you know, we need some more help. Uh, if it gets really big or something that's predicted, such as a hurricane or something like that, you might see that the governor might issue some type of decree as a state of emergency or request for assistance. Uh, and then it just depends on the, the, the size and scope of the event at that point is what gets requested. Uh, in this particular case, the Medical Reserve Corps is activated upon uh, the Department of Public Health in the state of Georgia. So we would receive a request from public health for that assistance, and that's how we would respond. And based on what you're saying, and I, I think that a lot of folks may not necessarily think about it, in, including uh, our, our listeners who are, are MAG members that, uh, like you talked about, I'm a physician, I want to help. Uh, that in many of these events, particularly in some sort of disaster or uh, serious health issue that would require that we kind of lock down an area, um, there may be some sort of boundary set up by either military or law enforcement or a combination of those that, that means you, you can't cross through there in or out one way or the other, depending on where you are, without particular credentials. And so that's kind of getting into what we're talking about here is we're formalizing if you're going to be one of those people that wants to be able to show up or at least get an alert that we need some assistance, you want to show up and be able to contribute, that getting to be a part of the MRC here makes you one of those people that they can say, oh, okay, yeah, we checked you out, you got your... your it's kind of like the pre-approval process to that yeah. degree. You know, you're getting pre-approved, we're going to check your credentials when you show up, when you apply to volunteer. Um, I kind of call it the difference between being a part of the solution and being a part of the problem. 
Uh, if you just show up and it's a bad day, uh, you're going to be a part of the problem because you're going to get in the way. You may not be properly trained, but you know you join an organization such as the Medical Reserve Corps. We're going to give you the tools you need to be prepared when you get there, the credentials you need when you arrive on scene uh, to make a difference. And in that case, you're being a part of the solution. You're going to affect change in a real way. And we talked about training. What kind of training am I going to get? What am I, what am I going to be trained in doing? Because, I mean, clearly delivering medicine in a tent that's just been set up in a field because the other one's smashed uh, around the corner by a, a, a hurricane or a tornado, it's not going to be the same as just going in and, you know, do, doing your, your daily work in a hospital. So what are we, what are we, what's the training process like? It kind of varies. Uh, you're going to get everything from the basic courses, uh, even including first aid and CPR. We're going to make sure that everyone that uh, responds as a part of the MRC has those basic foundational courses, all the way up to some very specialized courses that uh, can include the actual assembly and how the functions of the medical reserve corps would be in that type of an environment. It's a portable hospital. It's going to function a lot differently than your typical environment on a daily basis. So we're going to go into some high-level training about how the structure works in there. Uh, the roles of the doctors in there and how they receive assistance that they need from the other medical staff. And, you know, all the way down to even, you know, it's a little hot in here, how to turn the air on. Uh, so there's some different, you know, layers inside of that that would be uh, provided in terms of training. And then the second part of it, I mean, you know, Dr. Harvey, maybe you can talk about some of the more specialized training we're looking at. Well, I think CW, uh, an example of what you talked about first of, of just getting to the disaster when we did the evacuation into Dobbins, you couldn't get to the flight line unless you were checked out to come through the gate. I mean, that was the checkpoint. And if you weren't in uniform or weren't with part of the authorized response, we could get you on an entry authorization list, military term, for the guys at the front gate. And uh, Mr. Hildreth would do that for certain people that we had designated. But unless you were aware of that process, you weren't going to get to where the, the medical care was being rendered. I guess the second thing in the, uh, that we mentioned about the, the personal training to be able to respond is kind of an understanding of where you fit in the response. And as you said very appropriately, yes, there are primary response personnel in every area of our state. And they have the authority and responsibility initially to deal with the issue. At some point, they realize we're overwhelming our resources, and there are mechanisms for them to have support of, of fire personnel, police personnel, security, uh, and now health care. Uh, the local MRC is one way to do that if the local MRC is not overwhelmed. We find if you've had a tornado in a local area, often the local doctors are dealing with taking care of their families because most all of us realize that uh, families are, are our primary concern. And we even, as part of our initial training, instruct that you can't be effective in your response if you're worried about your family's safety. So that gets back to the initial thing you mentioned earlier about having a personal plan of what you're going to do just for yourself. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do if, if there was uh, I get iced in downtown and my family's at home? Mm -hmm. How do I know that they're okay? And having a pre-developed plan even individually for that becomes imperative for you to be able to continue to function. If you know they're all happy at home and that you'll get there eventually, then you can you know, stay snowed in at your job. But otherwise, you get to concentrating on, well, what am I really going to do and where's my divided attention going to go? 
So that's the first thing on personal preparedness is to be uh, fully assured that if you're going to go to one of these disaster responses, that you're prepared to go, that you know your family's okay, they know what you're going to be doing, and they know when you'll be back, which with this MRC is usually going to be about 72 hours. And as it relates to providing volunteer services, whether I'm medical in background or not, and I want to be a part of the Medical Reserve Corps, by name, it would imply that I'm going to be doing healthcare-related things. But is that the case? I mean, are there is it one of those situations where, and other duties as assigned, that uh, it's important for our physician members and and other folks to understand there may be other things, maybe not. But uh, you know, w- tell me about that, Susan. If 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 I'm showing up, what am I going to be doing? Well, my my vision is that that in addition to our MAG members, that they will reach out to practice staff, um, multidisciplinary teams, administrative personnel, and and solicit their interest in participating um, in, in the MAG MRC. For example, if we are deployed to assist in a surge, you need more than medical personnel. You know, you need nursing staff. You need potentially ph- pharmacy. You need administrative personnel. So um, you need the entire the entire team, and what a perfect place to start uh, with, you know, is is that that practice staff. Beyond that, of course, you know, we can open it up. Um, we have, and I wanted to take the opportunity to mention the 17 other medical reserve corps across the state of Georgia. You know, and they're like, well, you know, are they going to join you all? And, and are you competing right. with us? Right. No, no, we are. We are not. You know, the MAG MRC is not competing with the local MRCs. Those MRCs are local. We have an opportunity to to collaborate. And so we are are there to supplement their right. their capacity. And I would anticipate that we might have some bleed over uh, between the local MRCs and and the MAG MRCs, where folks are are joining both, because our mission is perhaps something that's not going to happen with the level of frequency that local MRCs you know uh, will be 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 facing. But if I'm in the MRC, am I going to be? packing sandbags or uh, schlepping water or whatever it may be, or am I just going to be sitting waiting for somebody that's got an injury that I'm going to take care of? Well, we plan on you being in the MRC, and and to the point we just made, I think we're planning on Krista being in the MRC, too. She'll be in communications. Everybody's Mm -hmm. signing up. Absolutely, because the first barrier in a disaster is always effective communications. Most disasters are associated with cell phone outages, with potentially landline outages, and so we need people that are expert in communication that can understand the communication systems and have background in interfacing with communication systems. And so that's not a medical problem, but it's very much a medical problem if we can't tell them what medical supplies we need to get into the, to the new surge hospital. If we take the surge hospital, we need people that know how to set up the, the surge hospital. And certainly, you know, you're probably like me as a doctor. I don't mind doing that. I don't mind packing sandbags if that's what the critical issue is. But my most specialized talent is being a surgeon. And if we need to decide who's going to pack sandbags or be a surgeon, then I may be on the surgeon side. And we need other personnel that are able to set up the set up the surge hospital. It's fun to set up. Mr. Hildreth and I have done it. We set up an entire hospital in four hours. <laughs> and with that went the understanding of it's, it's an inflatable hospital, but also with the 
HVAC capacity. It has generators. It has electrical generators. And we need people that understand how to safety safely and effectively set that up. So in your discussion of is this all just going to be doctors and healthcare workers, the answer is absolutely no, that we want to be able to have a unit that can go in and pretty well be self-sustaining for a period of two to three days to really help out with the needs where the disaster is. And that that encompasses a lot of talents. So clearly there's opportunity on a wide scale to be able to participate as a volunteer. Um, obviously, many, if not most, of the people that are listening to us talk about uh, the, the concept of the Medical Reserve Corps probably doing some kind of work every day. So uh, from a time perspective, time commitment to be able to, to get the training that they need, what are we talking about so that uh, we can make those folks understand it is doable on top of whatever your, your day job is in terms of getting educated and trained so that you can be prepared and volunteer? Well, as a surgeon, I understand time limitations. So let me make a couple of comments, then I'm going to turn it over to Susan and, and Mr. Hildreth because they, Susan Moore and Mr. Hildreth, because they've looked at the d- developing curriculum. But we've tried to do it to where most of this can be uh, self-coordinated learning on Internet-based okay. uh, programs that are out there. There, We've tried to choose very interesting programs, in fact, the ones that we've got set right now uh, help you out quite a bit with a a good background just if you're traveling. Our world's not a safe place anymore and and one of the uh, programs that we have on counterterrorism and self-protection and uh, I guess different from your home surroundings places tell you where you want to be in a hotel on what floor and why and always know your access and exit points and issues like that. So I think the training the people will find very interesting to start with. It makes you able to be more prepared personally for that disaster, but it also makes you able to respond very effectively when we do have a disaster. I give the the little quip, and I've, I've given this to Mag before, so I... You know, when you come to the disaster and say you're willing to help, and I say, okay, we're, we'll get to you in just a minute, then you say, okay, well, where do I check in? Uh, and I say, check in for what? And they said, well, what hotel are we staying in? And, you know, all the hotels are down. We're staying and, in Honda Accord. That's right. And, <laughs> and uh, well, how about lunch? And so if you didn't come prepared to be – you know, put in a barracks-type environment with your own uh, supportive linens and uh, at least initial meals. Uh, we have in our ready pack generally two to three days' worth of self-sustaining food, protective clothing, and the materials that we might need to effectively respond. That be water-carrying capacity to keep our own water and Uh, not be dependent on somebody providing those resources. Because if you show up to the disaster commander already asking for that... You're depleting resources right out of the box before you get to helping the other people. Very good. The point was made. And so clearly what you keep around, how you're prepared in terms of you you end up obviously doing some training about what to expect when you get to a place and that kind of thing. But you also learn what you need to have ready to go as a volunteer so that you show up as a 
prepared volunteer that you can contribute rather than deplete resources. Have it all set in a go pack. Paul and I have one packed all the time. And if they say you're going to get deployed because we have this, grab the go pack, throw it in the car. Ready to go. Kind of like that going to have a baby, you know, suitcase ready to, to <laughs> That's a good take analogy. Out, take out, <laughs> out the door. And, you know, you're, you're only as effective of a volunteer as you are prepared and as your family's prepared. So, uh, you know, that's something that I learned through all these courses is, uh, you know, is very important that, that you can't deliver from a psychological standpoint uh, as, as well as you could if, if, you're, if you don't know that your family is being, being well cared for or, or prepared. But as to, as to the, the coursework, FEMA has um, just an abundance of online courses that one can take at their own pace, at their own time, and several of those courses are going to be included as basic coursework for joining the MRC. Um, both basically talk to the incident command structure because there's that's really a, a foundational piece. You need to know where you fit, as we've you know been been stressing. Then beyond that, you get to you know get all the, the fun stuff. But we're in the process of establishing. We we were just approved, you know, but a, a few months ago. So we're in the process of of putting our org chart together and and look at our at our various branches and deciding what you know what leaders we need in in what positions so we you know we are we are growing this so that's we're at a very exciting uh, point and we'll be working very closely with the Department of Public Health we have a very robust um, emergency training uh, curriculum offered by the state and beyond our prerequisites for our volunteers we will certainly encourage participation, whether it's a decant contamination or they, they've got, um, uh, you know, blast injuries. There, there is no shortage of learning opportunities for those out there that are interested in becoming uh, proficient uh, in this area. So as it relates to chain of command, um, a, a lot of physicians are typically used to being at the top of the chain of command. But in this particular situation, I would presume, that if I show up as a volunteer, regardless of all the letters and 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 yeah things behind my name, that I'm probably going to be answering to somebody. Um, can you talk about that? How is it structured so that I mean I suppose I'm getting some of that in, in my training into in terms of organizational structure, so I understand who 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 should I seek out when I show up to a disaster site of some kind, whatever it may be. But can you talk about the the chain of command in a situation like this as it relates to the MRC? I'm going to let Mr. Hildreth talk about that because I often put him in charge of a lot of that when we had. Uh, yeah, the dogs passed the work right over to me. Right, <laughs> but, but See, there you go. So we got a chain of command already. You're absolutely correct, <laughs> Good commander. That when you when you respond, you need to understand that there is a, a mechanism with that response, and just like when you get to the gate and they ask you, "Well, why are you here?" You say, "Well, I wanted to help." That's not going to get you very far. But if you tell them that I'm responding under. Um, what is it, Presidential Directive 12, and I'm under ESF 8 section medical planning and, and uh, organization, then they say, oh, okay, well, he knows the system. He understands NIMS. So, all right, the medical commander is going to be over there, and you go over there, and they'll get you checked in, and then that person would go gotcha. to where you, you check in to, re to respond to the medical. And then there's a, a willingness that, you know, if you are truly there to effectively respond – you go to understand, as we talked about a minute ago, what are the needs and how can we effectively 
accomplish that, and that's what the medical commander will pretty quickly determine with them. And that's true, and I, I will never forget, uh, you know, when we're responding to the hurricanes, standing in the back of an aircraft, uh, probably a C-130 at that time, and responsible for the patient offloading of that aircraft, working with that staff on that plane to get patients off the plane, turning around and giving command orders to a general. And I was a little young lieutenant. It threw me for a second, but you do. You realize quickly that they're there for a reason, and they know the command structure of what that aircraft is, and they're there to help. So I think a lot of that ties back into what we're talking about. How do you participate? You know, and, and it's we want you to come with an open heart and open mind and to want to give as a volunteer. There's some out there that will want to give a lot more than others. Um, we're open to all of those you know, avenues of exploration for, for being a part of this. I know that there's some leaders out there that are dynamic in their industry, whether as physicians or as in nursing or clinical or non-clinical, uh, and we're looking for those types of individuals to, to step up and be a part of this organization. We'll guide you through the MRC you know, paces of this to get you through what needs to happen there. Um, but then we want to step back and allow you those opportunities to lead those groups as well, because I think there's some uh, dynamic physicians out there that can contribute in any of those capacities to which they want, or all the way down, like you said, excuse me, Susan said, we, you know, we're looking to the whole staff. If there's a way to integrate that, you know, physician's office staff into this as a whole, I think it's a win for everybody and especially the state. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, clearly in many of the events that would uh, cause the MRC to be activated and, and, you know, cause to be moved into some area that, uh, in need, um, it, some of them are going to be dangerous and just because uh, hurricane or storm damaged places, uh, you know, whatever, say there's some outbreak or some kind of thing in a quarantined region, uh, I'm going to be exposed to some measure of injury or risky exposure. Am I, do I have any kind of measure of protection? From what I understand, there may be some sort of level of protection from the state level that if I'm a volunteer, particularly within a structure of something like this, um, then I, and I'm participating in trying to render aid that I may have some measure of help or assistance to, should something happen to me. Is that, is, am I on the right track there? Uh, yes, um, the state does afford um, protection for, for folks who have responded in good faith in a volunteer capacity in an emergency. And some of those are the Georgia Emergency Management Act, the Georgia Tort Claims Act, there's a Good Samaritan statute, there's liability for voluntary health care providers and sponsoring organizations. And there's also a corporate Good Samaritan Act. So there are um, there are protections, of course, if there is misconduct. Uh, you know, liability does not cover for that. But I will point out, and this is significant, is that the state doesn't afford um, protections should you be injured um, from a workman's comp uh, perspective. So... So volunteers would just, you know, need to do their own due diligence about, you know, their, their coverages so that they are not left in a, in a vulnerable spot. We've also actually had some conversations with the medical malpractice uh, insurer in Georgia about, about providing liability coverages for uh, MAG members who do volunteer. That's a, a fairly new discussion. In addition to um, this idea of business loss insurance. Uh, physicians can get insurance for their practices should they have water damage, should there be a flood, should they have business interruption. But what about business interruption because of a more protracted um, event? 
that causes them not to be able to to go to work every day. So we're looking at those kind of, of coverages, you know, as well. So there's more to come on that front. So we've talked a lot about disasters of different kinds that would make it feel pretty obvious as to why we have the Medical Reserve Corps. But are there instances that maybe they're not disasters of some kind where your your volunteers might be called on to activate? Well, Georgia, and I talked with uh, Dr. O'Neill earlier today, Georgia is um, in, in the top-tier area of states that have responded to disasters in the past 10 years. We have had uh, transportation disasters. We've had uh, some collapse, building collapse disasters. We've had weather-related disasters. So I think that the realization that we're uh, just looking at our, our potentials out there are in an area where that is a, a reality of life. We're a major transportation hub in the southeast. We have a number of major intersecting uh, interstate highways. We have uh, weather patterns that tend to promote tornadoes here and potential storms that will come in from the coast in Savannah. So I think that we'll have the opportunities to face those types of natural disasters. The other types of disasters that we've seen, and not looking too far back, um, although the Ebola crisis has improved somewhat over the past few months, that there were substantial concerns here in Georgia when we had Ebola patients that were in fact brought into the state. And if we had uh, an increase in hospital capabilities being required for treatment of a communicable disease, hopefully nothing like Ebola, but certainly the flu uh, can produce substantial problems. other communicable diseases may be problematic, and with the realization that most of our hospitals only have about a 10% surge capacity, meaning they can only admit about 10% more of the number of patients that are moved in and out every day, that generally doesn't give a whole lot of beds if we were to have a hundred patients go to a local hospital. And so we need to have some type of preparedness response for where those people would either be assessed as far as the need for hospitalization and, in fact, treated uh, possibly outside of the local hospital. So those are all capabilities that we look at with the Reserve Corps. So having – oops, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to add that, that – uh, and this might be more more relevant to the local MRCs, and we need to explore – this possibility for us, but one of the additional critical roles of, of the MRCs is to support prevention, you know, disease prevention. So, so there is a very, you know, robust role on the part of local MRCs to be assisting with healthcare screenings, to to be involved in immunizations, to to get out and and do educational programs for their community in the spirit of preventing diseases in addition to disaster response. So if I've been listening so far through the show, learned that there's an opportunity for me, whether I'm a healthcare provider or not, to be a part of this volunteer force, uh, the Medical Reserve Corps, that will go out and, and deal with whatever we're talking about, natural disasters or any kind of situation that might create an increased need uh, for healthcare support and other measures within the community, uh, like we've talked about. 
and I'm thinking about it, I'm interested, and I would like to contribute to the level I can, but I, I don't know how available I am. I'm, I'm a busy guy. Uh, can, I, can I still participate? How, how available do I have to be? Well, keep in mind that the, the Medical Association, Medical Reserve Corps, we have three kind of missions. And, and part of our missions are, the first one is simply this, to respond and put up the portable hospital. So we want to get a group that's, that's there that can be trained for that specific purpose to uh, respond quickly, produce the hospital, get it out of the ground, and you know, get the tents put together, everything set up. Uh, and then secondly is to provide very specific medical support to staff that hospital. And again, we're looking at a period of up to 72 hours. We want to be that initial medical response team that goes into that hospital, establishes everything to get going. And then uh, the third part is we want to provide an incident management team to support the hospital. We know that any, you know, any hospital has a great team of people that work in there, but they also have a great team of support personnel, the administrators of the hospital and, and others that contribute to that. So the state MRC is really focused on those efforts, while the local MRCs are really focused towards what Susan was speaking to, and that's a lot of the community outreach, health providing uh, clinics or vaccination clinics, things like that. So we would encourage them to do both if they want to. So as a physician, if you've got a limited amount of time, we've got a specific role for you. It's up to 72 hours when we need you. And, and that's what we're asking from you. If you're a physician and you've got a little extra time and you want to be a leader in our organization, we'd love to have you a part of that, whether it's part of the communication staff, the training staff, the implementation staff, any of those pieces. Um, if you're a physician and you've got a lot of extra time on your hands, boy, we got some work for you. So we, we can kind of mix it up any way you want. And again, we're looking not just to the physician level, that's important, obviously, but any of the clinicians mm -hmm. or non-clinical staff, same answer to all those same questions. Uh, we, we've got a role for you in the state MRC. CW, one of the things we as doctors always look at is evidence-based medicine. How did we come up with this? And as we mentioned earlier, most disasters start locally. If most are handled locally. And only when it gets to overwhelm local resources do you start bringing in other resources. The major deployment of federal resources takes about 72 hours to become mobilized, to get on the ground and become operational. So we looked at that period of time between the realization that you were being overwhelmed locally and the actual deployment and operational capability oftentimes of the response uh, mechanisms through NDMS or FEMA. And that's where we came up with the state resource of what we'd look at being somewhere from 12 hours out to, you know, mobilized to get there and 72 hours as a maximum. And that's why we can feel fairly confident that if it's still a big problem at 72 hours, it's going to be handed off to another supportive group that will come in. Goofy question, but um, in some events, if you look at Snowmageddon, as they love to call it last year, um, and others, say, tornadic uh, events or hurricanes where travel may be challenging, it sounds as though, based on our conversation that I if I'm a volunteer, I travel on my own method to get to where we're going. But, I mean, are there collecting points where we, that are kind of regionalized so that our volunteers collect here? If you're in Cobb County, we have these zones where we have volunteers get to, and then from there we've got collaborations with either counter state, whatever it may be. Yeah, you could think of it as um – where can we do the most good with the most people that we've got? So yeah. if, we, if we have a situation, say, in Savannah, 
then we know that the resources there are already going to be overtaxed and everyone's going to be busy as they can. So what we're going to do is reach back out to North Metro, maybe into Columbus, look at those volunteers to say, let's pull the team together and respond. And so because of the statewide aspect of this, there would be those predetermined rally points where people could okay. gather um, and it could be, you know, military based depending on what part of the, you know, the state or it could be a public area. And then we would then travel. You know, so there's some measure of transportation for your volunteers to Correct. get to where they're going. Okay. We travel as a group under, you know, authorization. This is, you're going to meet at this rally point with all your gear and ready to go. And then okay. somebody else will take care of the transport. Clearly reducing traffic is, is going to be of value as well. All right. So everything I've heard makes me want to take part. So what do I do? How do I sign up? Susan? Well, I have an email for you. Um, you might want to email smore at mag.org. Uh, I am functioning as the medical reserve coordinator. We will, in a short amount of time, have, have some links and have this kind of available electronically so that we can, can do the sign-up. We can deploy the volunteer manual. As we've discussed, there are some eligibility requirements, there's some training requirements, and what we didn't mention, or Dr. Harvey actually did mention Serve Georgia, we have a very comprehensive state database for collecting information about volunteers, and, and this is something that is a requirement to be in that, that database, um, and that also allows for alerts to be sent um, if certain types of individuals are required for a certain disaster. It's, it's really a very effective tool. For, so for those who are listening that may have family members that want to just join a local MRC, it's S-E-R-V-E Georgia. And maybe there's not any there for, for the serve, but, but, but you'll get there if you, if you Google it. So we encourage that. But, uh, but in the meantime, um, I think you can be, be comfortable just to contact me directly at S-M-O-O-R-E at mag.org. And tomorrow we will be posting a recording of, of this program, and there will be the contact information listed there as well. Your website was Serve Georgia, which is servega, S-E-R-V-G-A dot gov. Georgia Responds is the website for you. Um, final thoughts before we have to jump off? Well, I just appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about this today. This grew out of an initiative from our House of Delegates a year or so ago, and many of the people there were interested and f wanted the Medical Association to push it forward. And within a year, we've gotten our federal designation. We're very happy about that. And now we have already had approximately 30 to 40 physicians that have signed up and, and shown initial interest. So we're going to be putting the program together with the uh, help of uh, Mr. Hildreth and Ms. Moore. And I'm just excited about Georgia having this as a potentially very utilizable resource for the, the response to disasters in this state. I would simply say this is a chance to do something. Do something and give back for your state. So if you're out there and uh, you're looking for that opportunity. I would encourage you to um, to take a you know to take a look at it. Reach out to Susan, get the information from her, and then um, you know let let's get a time to to meet whether on the phone or via email or even in person so that we can explore the opportunities that are there for you. Um, and and young, middle aged, uh, retired, older, you know wh whatever capacity you want to give, we we would like to have you a part of this organization and would appreciate having you reach out to us. 
And I would just add that um, our bread and butter uh, with with medical association is legislative advocacy, but but just sometimes that just might not float everybody's boat, and <laughs> and there might be other other areas of interest. And I think that this is a wonderful example of a, a service that our physicians will find to be valuable. That that will potentially get them more involved in the medical association or might actually uh, get the interest of physicians who are not yet members of the medical association of Georgia because this this kind of a service back to the community resonates with them as physicians just to do to do their part. Susan Moore, Paul Hildreth, Dr. John Harvey, President-elect of MAG, uh, I want to say thanks so much for making time to join us on the show today. We make the time go by so quickly every time we're here talking about things. Today was the Medical Reserve Corps. Sounds like uh, there's some great reasons and, and great opportunities for the, the Medical Association of Georgia members to contribute their medical expertise in times of increased need, whether it's a natural disaster or any other kind of event that would cause an increase in demand on our existing health care assets. So make sure that you uh, interface with these folks. Sounds like uh, Susan is, uh, is available to get questions answered for you as to how you can participate, even if you're not a physician or a healthcare professional. There's uh, an opportunity for you to contribute here. I want to say thank you to Tom Cornegay, Director of Communications for the Medical Association of Georgia, and uh, our friend Donald Pomisano, Jr., CEO of Medical Association of Georgia. It's been a blast for me to get to know these folks and to be able to give the Medical Association of Georgia a voice in the media to be able to share information with their membership and the community at large. Krista Baruti. Thanks for letting me push your buttons. Thanks CW. for being a part of the show again today. And uh, if you've not already done so, please link up with the Top Docs um, social media sites. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Top Docs on BRX. There is no fee for being here, folks. You just got to tie in with us on social media. So you got to link up with us there. Uh, we'll, we'll expect you to do that before you leave. Um, but uh, thanks again for everybody making us a part of their afternoon uh, today. We, we really enjoy sharing these experts with you. As you can see, we really bring some uh, great folks here into the studio to share information with you. And we look forward to some cool guests to come to you next week. Make sure you see us in the same time, same place next week. See you then. 